The impact of COVID's fourth wave continues to be felt across the country this morning with 125 people who have tested positive for the virus being treated in intensive care. Between Friday and Sunday, almost 13,300 new infections were reported. Meanwhile, ministers are due to meet this evening to consider supports for restaurants, pubs and hotels being affected by pre-Christmas cancellations. According to a report in this morning's Irish Examiner, the government is hoping that a combination of the chief medical officer scaring the bejesus out of people, that's a quote, and an accelerated vaccine booster campaign will prevent the need for another lockdown. And the CMO, Dr Tony Houlihan, joins us now on the line. Good morning. Good morning, Rachel. Thanks for having me on. No, I'm not sure if you're here to scare the bejesus out of people, but when will it be possible to say if the changes introduced at the end of last week are making a real difference? Well, we'll meet again on Thursday as an effort. Uh, we'll look at the situation, but it's unlikely that we'd expect to see uh, a significant change as a result of changes introduced last week. But we'll keep monitoring the course of the disease as we go, go through this week and into next week. And when and if we think um, we see signs of improvement, which is what we will hope to see in the first instance, we'd, we'd expect to see those beginning to appear this week if things are beginning to improve. We don't know that that'll be the case, but we'll be looking out for them. And if they do, we'll call that and, and we'll, we'll give government advice based on that. Uh, if we think things are are uh, such that we, we need to, to, to make different advice necessary uh, available uh, than we will. But the important thing is, is, is with, with due respect to government, not what government does at this point, but what you as an individual, your listeners, uh, and particularly, most importantly, people who have symptoms. These are the most important people to get through to. Anybody who's got symptoms of respiratory viral infection now, symptoms like COVID, the important thing to do is, is, is to self-isolate and to arrange to get a PCR test. If you stay at home and you limit your movements in your house and stay away as much as you can from people that you live with, you can cut down the transmission of this infection to other people that you are important to and people that you love. Uh, the people who are then close household contacts of a confirmed case, also important that those people restrict their movements for five days, which is one of the decisions government made last week. And if we get that behaviour, if you like, as good as it can be, cut down the people who, who are most likely to spread this infection from circulating in the population, we can have an impact in terms of transmission. So the government can't make people do that. People need to understand, they need to have trust and confidence in the advice that they're hearing, they need to buy into it and they need to follow those measures. Right, you mentioned that new five-day rule there. Do you support the plan to exempt healthcare staff from that rule because they're concerned about the possibility of this happening? Uh, I do, uh, and that's part of the decision. And uh, like the measures that are being put in place now are a step up from where we are at the moment, if you like, rather than a step down. So we're, we're adding further measures to limit transmission across the whole population. We have to protect uh, public health, though, in, in every possible way. And in the middle of a pandemic, one of the ways that you protect public health is that you maintain in as much as possible uh, the, the health system and try to ensure that you have uh, health services available as much as you can on a prioritised basis for people who need them. Mm, can you uh, understand though why people might before. be concerned about this? Uh, I can, uh, but we can reassure people that the risks to individuals who are vaccinated uh, and who are young and the majority of people in the workforce, particularly the healthcare workforce, are younger, uh, are much, much lower. Uh, and, and the responsible thing for people who are, who are in the healthcare workforce, just like everybody else, is to follow the basic public health advice, make sure they're vaccinated, make sure they stay out of work when they've got symptoms. Uh, these are the basic things that we want everybody to follow, and that's important for the healthcare workforce as well. And the other measures that government has mandated now, particularly the stay at home uh, in as much as possible from work where you can, 
um, if you remember the general population, and uh, work from home. Uh, that's going to be really important in cutting down the total amount of, of activity across the population, as well as some of the other measures that have been mandated in relation to the nighttime economy. And importantly, Rachel, they'll send an important signal to people that this is now a serious situation. We have a growing level of infection and a growing level of infection that needn't happen. The majority of cases that we are going to see in this country in December have not yet been infected. These individuals have not yet picked up this infection. So it's not inevitable that they will pick up this infection. There is still time for those individually and collectively to take the actions right. to prevent themselves from becoming ill, ending up in ICU or, or representing a risk to other people, particularly people that they love, who are vulnerable and vulnerable to the severe okay. uh, outcomes of this infection Listen, uh, to protect I, I, them as I much have, as possible I from that. I have to ask you, given that you're putting so much emphasis on personal responsibility, and pe people have been very responsible over the past 18, yes, 19 months, so, Rachel, can, can you understand if they're looking at all of this now and saying, well, I've done everything I was asked to do, including getting vaccinated. The fundamental problem here is that the health service isn't adequate. Um, well, what I'd say, first of all, two points that I'll make to you. The first one is that if we didn't have mitigation measures in place, this, this virus would have a reproduction level between six and eight. In other words, every case would on average infect six to eight other people. We know that the reproductive rate now is about 1.25. So we're achieving extraordinary levels of suppression of transmission of this virus already with the high levels of vaccination we have and with the adherence to the measures that the pub... Many, many people are still adhering very well to the measures. We just need a little more to bring that oral level below one. Uh, that's the first point to make. The other point to make is that, and I hear this being said, that this is really a matter of, of hospital and health service capacity uh, and, and particular intensive care capacity. And yes, of course, that's important. But, but like, this is a preventable respiratory infection. People ending up so sick that they require admission to, 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 to uh, intensive care from this preventable infection is something that we shouldn't accept. We have 125 people in hospital at the moment, uh, in, as you said in, in your introduction, in the intensive care units, many others out in the wards, dependent on, 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 on very intense support because their health is so severely impacted from this preventable. So uh, if, if we had three, four, five hundred more uh, ICU beds and they were full, surely that would not be a good thing. We'd have many, many more sick people. You see many other countries across Europe, uh, and I'll give you some examples. I mean, Austria is one that would have many more ICU beds than would be the case in this country, and yet are still dependent on restrictions because the levels of transmission in that country are so high. So our first aspiration should be, should be to protect the health of individuals by pre preventing this infection, which is why it comes back to our individual actions. Right. So me as an individual wearing a mask, uh, uh, social distancing, not meeting up indoors with other people, staying at home from work or school or whatever it may be when I've got symptoms, the government isn't going to make me do that. I've got to understand that okay. that's something that I, I, I can do for myself and that I should do for myself. Talking so of things is, that, that it, people can... It is can... important that people undertake, if you like, personal responsibility and the government will support that. But the government can't and isn't in a position to take those measures for you as an individual. All right. Talking about things that people can do for themselves, one of those things is take an antigen test. Do you accept the government's decision that there is a role for these tests and that their costs should be subsidised? Well, we've always said there's a role for these tests. Uh, these tests have been used for, for quite a period of time. We've always recommended their use in high incident situations to support the investigation of outbreaks and where what we call the pre-test probability of a positive result is high. That's why we've recommended them for use, for example, in, in screening of people who are household contacts. Mm, but you haven't supported uh, their wider use. So, we, so the widespread use of them where they're used in asymptomatic populations has to happen in a situation where their use is understood. And the issue is that 
if we have survey data that we, 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 we generate through our weekly uh, population survey, our most recent data from Wednesday of last week shows that in the previous week, about one in five adults reported that they used an antigen test in the previous week. Uh, the majority of those said that they used them when they have symptoms. That is not the public health advice. And then those who used them when they had symptoms, only about a third of them went on to take a PCR test and to restrict their movements. Uh, and, and, and again, that's not the public health advice. So the current situation is that antigen tests are widely available, they're being widely used, but they're not being properly used. And as the Taoiseach said over the weekend, what we really need to do now is focus on trying to ensure that people understand when they should use them. So if you have symptoms, a PCR test is the right test, an antigen test is not the test for you. If you're asymptomatic and you take an antigen test before you undertake some high-risk activity, if you're thinking of going to a wedding or something, or whatever it might be, then a positive result is what you should rely on. If the result comes back positive, you stay away. If the result is negative, it doesn't mean that you don't have the disease. We have the, the, the problem that we have is don't too the many tests people make believe that, clear, that a negative. Pardon me. Don't the tests it's, make that clear? I mean, there's a little piece of paper that comes with right. them that there that is. does make the it clear that this, that this is right. the case. Just because you get you're a negative result, it doesn't mean you don't have COVID. And the, the, the tests make that clear, but the data that we are generating about how the public is using it is also clear that the public isn't fully following that advice. So if the government subsidises these them, tests, then will it be making a mistake? No, what we need to ensure now is that the public understands in as much as possible how best to use this. And every one of us, not just me, but people in the media and other people of influence, uh, highlight this important message that if you have symptoms, the PCR test is the right test for you, not the antigen test. And you self-isolate and you stay at home until your PCR test is done. Uh, and if you do take an antigen test, if you're one of those people in a high-risk uh, group where, you're, where your social activities involve you engaging in multiple high-risk activities, which of course is what we're not recommending people to do at this point in time, and you use an antigen test, you can really only rely on the result when the result is positive. You're right to say that the literature that goes out with these tests makes that clear. We need the public to fully understand that. In the past couple of weeks, almost 16% of infections have been among children aged between 5 and 12. Now, they all have one thing in common, and that's that they go to school. The INTO, the INTO, who we'll be hearing from in a moment, say it was a mistake to end contact tracing in primary schools. Do they have a point? Uh, I understand why they say that, but uh, but but I don't agree. Uh, we had clear evidence when we came, when schools re resumed, and uh, it was the first time we saw a resumption of school activity with high levels of Delta transmission. The level of testing in that age group went very very high, with a huge increase in the number of people having PCR tests in the five to twelve year age group. And what actually happened was the test positivity fell significantly. And even though there was an, a, a rise in the reported number of cases, what that actually was was an increase in what we call the case ascertainment. In other words, it was more likely that a case would be found. It wasn't a true increase in the underlying instance of the disease. And it reinforced other data that we have and international experiences that in general when schools are uh, following all the basic public health measures that our school system has done really, really well to the credit of teachers, unions, teachers, principals, boards of management, parents and obviously the children themselves. Uh, it's helped to make those, in relative terms, low-risk situations mm. compared to other circumstances Just like households that, though, and, and other places where close there, contact occurs. There is a problem and the reason at that children the in that five to twelve-year-old age group are getting infections, they're for the most part picking this infection up in the community and at home, rather than necessarily transmitting it in mm. the school. Do you accept, though, that there is a problem in schools at the moment? Because the INTO teachers on the ground are clearly worried about this. 
Well, teachers are worried. Of course they're worried, and we understand why. So that's why it's really important that teachers ensure, first of all, that they're all vaccinated, second of all, that all the measures are in place, and, and, and third of all, I'd really emphasise the importance, and, and I'm not suggesting the teachers don't do this, for, for parents, sending children into school with symptoms is a no-no. You shouldn't be taking antigen tests in order to determine that your child doesn't have the disease and then sending a symptomatic child into school. I'm not saying it's a widespread activity, but we know from our public health teams on the ground, from GPs on the ground, that unfortunately is occurring. And if people are being sent into school with infection on the basis of a negative test, it might still be COVID, but it could also be RSV or another type of respiratory virus. So the responsible thing, and it's a difficult thing for parents to have to do, I understand it, uh, uh, is if your child has symptoms, you need to keep your child out of childcare, you need to keep your child out of school uh, uh, for, the, for the period of time uh, and arrange to get a PCR test. That's the right mes- uh, measure for people to follow. All right, just one final question on the booster vaccines. Are these likely to be extended to the under 50? Should they be? Uh, well, that's the, the, the subject of ongoing consideration from the NIAC. Other countries have moved in that direction. Mm. Right now, we have a recommendation in place for broadly three groups, the over 50s, people with underlying uh, medical conditions, and then people in the healthcare workforce. Uh, and the HSE has in excess of 2 million people in total to vaccinate across all those different age groups, is ramping up its campaign to get those boosters rolled out as quickly as possible to people. And I think if a further NIAC recommendation comes, and I won't be surprised if that's the direction we go myself, uh, then it'll come in good time. Uh, uh, because of course, the vaccines uh, were rolled out on a prioritised basis. Those with hi- at highest risk got them first. That's what's going to happen in relation to the boosters and that's the way the HSC is rolling them out. It's starting with the older age groups and the underlying illnesses and eventually working through to those at the lower risk. So those that you've identified are among the people at the lowest risk uh, of the disease. Dr Tony Houlihan, Chief Medical Officer, thank you very much for joining us on Morning Ireland.